So welcome to uh, this BT podcast. Uh, my name is Stephen Harrow. I'm a consultant clinical oncologist at the Edinburgh Cancer Centre, and I'm also a member of the BTOG Steering Committee. So this is part of our regular podcast series entitled BTOG Does, where we have informal chats with experts in their field and tackle the most important questions we all face in the diagnosis and treatment of thoracic cancers. It's important to say that sponsors of BTOG do not have any role whatsoever in the planning, content or delivery of anything discussed. So today's podcast is BTOG does palliative thoracic radiotherapy and it's a great pleasure of mine to introduce David Wolf um, to um, the BTOG podcasts. Um, David um, trained in North London um, and then moved um, north to the Christie, where he's been a consultant for the past six or so years, um, predominantly in lung cancer, which is obviously how um, I know um, David, but also I think you've got an interest in breast cancer and, and oligomets. And the main reason for, for getting you involved in this um, talk today, um, David, was that I know that you're the, the co-chief investigator for the, the tourist platform, which will hopefully discuss. So welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. No, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I'm, I'm always worried when you start about the word expert. I'm not sure I consider myself to be an expert in anything, but uh, I suppose... Yeah, I know. Well, I'm glad I'm on this side of the podcast and not on your side. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so I suppose the, 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 the way to start off with this is, you know, just so that we're both talking about the same thing, what do you mean by palliative thoracic radiotherapy? So I think that's a really good and actually surprisingly tricky question to ask to start with. I think um, back when I trained um, and certainly did my FRCR exams, it was very simple what was palliative and what was radical. And we'd, we'd quite clearly define that. And I think we're moving into an era where, you know, we're using lots of other terms around. We're throwing around, you know, high grade palliation. We're talking a lot about oligomet stuff. Is that really radical? Is it palliative? I know you've done a podcast on that recently and that will depend on the situation so I think the, the definition can get quite tricky um, and really I think the, the place where we get probably most tied up is when we actually use it with our patients we don't necessarily use the word radical maybe we do um, but that curative versus non-curative in that in that gray area in between um, which probably applies to lung cancer more than other cancers and mm -hmm. when I'm thinking about purely palliative radiotherapy, which is what we're talking about here, I'm thinking about doses given for sort of symptom control, maybe for prolonging life, but really with no view to a long term cure. So that's sort of my um, my thinking. And I'm not really thinking when I'm engaging in the word palliative in sort of the oligomets type conversation um, or sort of the saron uh, study type conversations where we're giving radiotherapy to, to multiple bits with an intention of curing, although, you know, that cure rate may be very, very low. Um, so that's sort of my way of thinking through the problem. But I think it's I think it's become challenging, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think you're right. Um, I, I suppose I think of oligomex slightly differently, but it probably is palliation, essentially. I mean, a lot of what we do is palliation. So, so we'll, we'll part oligomex over to one side, right? And I, and right. I agree that we're now agreed that we're both talking at roughly the roughly the same um, the same topic. So, I mean, I quite like the consent form, the new consent forms, because I think they're quite good in that they say, you know, palliation for, you know, symptom control and also, you know, prolonging life. And I think that those are the two the ways that I think of palliation is like you're but not 
you're not curing a cancer, but you may extend their life and, and you may improve symptoms. And um, okay, so yeah, I'd, I'd you, agree with that. I agree. With that. Yeah. So what, what's what's your practice in um, the Christie like then? So you know, somebody comes to you, um, they've got big bulky central disease and maybe just a couple of bone mats. You don't really think they're they're fit for systemic treatment. They're kind of just off off their food, not feeling too good. And um, what would how would you manage these patients? So you're not going to give them systemic treatment. Yeah, so I think I think this is a, a group which we see quite a lot. Um, so they're not symptomatic. They're a bit they're a bit yuck, um, but they're not symptomatic. Uh, and what we're going to do here, um, um, and then the bigger question which we come to is what what evidence as an evidence based community, especially what on earth evidence do we have to back up what I'm about to say? And I'm not sure I do have much evidence to back up what I'm about to say. But there we go. Okay. Um, so if they've got big bulky central disease and limited metastatic disease, which is what we're talking about here. There is quite a temptation, especially from a radiation oncologist, to just go in there and, and give some, some palliative radiotherapy. Um, what we're trying to achieve, um, we're probably trying to prevent symptoms if we're seeing big bulky central disease. We're, we're pretty sure they're going to run into problems fairly soon, maybe with hemoptysis, uh, you know, maybe there might be some collapse and worsening dyspnea. So, so we're thinking quite early about whether we're preventing symptoms occurring in this sort of patients. We're also tempted by the fact that we can treat the bulk of disease. So if that's where the bulk of their meta, uh, sorry, not bulk of their where the bulk of their cancer is, we know that we can get, you know, our radiotherapy in to treat, you know, 90 odd percent of their cancer. And that is quite tempting, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So I think those are the group of patients that you're, that you would engage in a conversation about palliative radiotherapy. Um, hopefully we're better with our patients at sort of talking about what their goals might be rather than what my or our goals are. That's so right, what yeah. patient-driven goals are, um, you know, and, and a realistic thing of what they're actually going to achieve. So they may want treatment, they may be very pleased to have treatment, but actually being realistic about what that achieves. Mm -hmm. um, can we tell the patient that's going to make them live longer? I don't know. I'm not sure we can. Mm. Um, and that comes back to our, our lack of evidence. We can talk about the aim of it might be to make them live a little bit longer by controlling this disease, aimed at probably primarily controlling their quality of life, so preventing deterioration in their quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, and then we're going to come on strong. We're going to talk about in a minute what what we're going to prescribe, what what dose fracturation we're going to give, and um, that's clearly going to tie in with what our aims are going to be. Um, um, what and what their, their aims are going to be and um, you know what data we have and the toxicity from that radiotherapy and of course what we mustn't forget is the number of visits um, I like you work in, in a, a large cancer centre where patients may travel a reasonable distance to us so you know giving them two weeks of, of radiotherapy you've just taken over two weeks of their remaining life traveling to and from uh, and we shouldn't forget that um, and then, of course, the, the technique we use as well. So, lots of different things to think about in those situations. So, what would your what would your your standard treatment be then? What would you? I mean, just roughly, what would you what would you do? I mean, single, yeah, so, 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 so probably not single. Um, depends on fitness. You've told me they're not fit for systemic therapy, so I'm probably going with twenty and five. If you're making me choose one, okay, I'm making um, you choose one. So you're going twenty and five. You are. 
I'm going with 20 and 5. And how are you going to do that? How are you going to plan that treatment? Yeah, so quite simply, so uh, most of us are, are CT simulating these sorts of things. So it's going to be CT simulated and it's going to be a parallel posed pair. Um, and um, the advantage of, of not planning these things, certainly in the department I work in, as many of them is they, they'll be ready to go, you know, fairly quickly. There's no planning time, you know, ready to go potentially in, in a few days. So, so I'm, I'm planning them really quite simply. Okay, and if you were going higher dose and fractionation, so you were going 13, 10, 36 and 12, something like that, would you would you look for a plan then or would you still go for an APPA approach, a parallel pair, simple? Yeah, so what, what would I do or what would I like to do are different questions. Okay. Um, so what, what we, I'll tell you what we do, we go for a parallel post pair. So in my department, that is what we were doing. That is what we are doing. Um, we are a big department and um, when we've looked at planning these patients and we look at the numbers, then it actually has a, a reasonable resource implication for planning if we switch them all to, um, you know, a VMAT, IMRT plan, et cetera. Um, in an ideal world, I would definitely be like to plan these patients. Um, I, think, I think the big gain potentially is, is with the esophageal toxicity. And, and that is the probably the single most thing we're going to worry about with these patients. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to plan them. We don't. Right. Okay. And it, it, it would there ever be like a, a you know if you had really large volume disease, is that anything that you would then kind of go to your department and ask them, please, you know, I, I really want to do a VMAP plan on this, or would you would that just not fly? No, it would fly. They're very flexible, so there's a good reason for doing it. Then, then they would absolutely absolutely go through. Of course, our planning time then is becomes a couple of weeks rather than a couple of days. So, so that's something we have to factor in. But 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 yes, no problem. They, they do it on a one-off basis. I mean, I, I certainly think you know I, I'm like you. You know, you would screen on do a, a parallel pair. Um, but you know, we're certainly moving definitely more to IMRT for our 36 and 12 patients, the higher dose and fractionation. But you know, it does add in time to the whole planning process and the patient doesn't start as quickly. And you do wonder whether or not you're you're giving with one hand and, and taking with the other hand, really. Um, and I suppose I'm mindful of, you know, Alex Louis' recent study from um, Canada, you know, with IMRT mm -hmm. and the esophagus sparing, which, you know, demonstrated that, yes, you got less esophagitis with the IMRT sparing, but there was really no difference with the quality of life with patients. So it's, it's really difficult to tease out, you know, do we actually make a difference by becoming more complicated with our planning and is the yeah, old ways? Is the I and that's been the story with IMRT. A lot of it is, you know, we have the technology, so we use it. Um, and, and, you know, again, that evidence be base behind it has, has sort of lagged behind, hasn't it? Exactly. So what about, um, you know, emergency palliative treatments, you know, um, I, I can think of three, you know, hemopsis, collapsed lung, um, SVCO. So hemopsis, you know, I, would you again just put a 20 and 5 on, um, 20 grain, 5 fractions? So that would, would your so, standard? So 25, or, or actually, I'm, I'm often, uh, I, I will go for, for the shortest number of fractionation, I think is reasonable in these situations. So it may often be a single fraction, depends on bulk of disease, and that's a, a little bit of an eyeball test. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes it will be a single, either eight or ten grey. Um, but if there's a bulk of disease, and clearly with hemoptysis, there often will be a bulk of disease there. Um, you can be creeping towards the sort of twenty and five zone. And are you ever a fan of seventeen and two? Uh, no, I've seen it used. I've seen it used in my training. I'm not sure the benefit of one over the other. I suspect the 
probably as little difference. We, we don't have any data. Um, so some places use it. That's a, that's a given, I think it's a weekly regime, isn't it? One yeah, yeah, there's a weekend week week between. Yeah, I've done it a few yeah. times and, and unfortunately, quite often you don't get to the second treatment because they're not great after the first. And um, so I, I've never really um, moved over to using it routinely. And what so about- the chart, you give it all up front and it's the after, so yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. What about SVCO? How, how do you manage that? I mean, obviously you were, we're still debating and, and you know, constantly do we put in a stent, do we irradiate? I mean, I think, yes, radiotherapy probably, it, you know, it works as does chemo work, but I think we, we certainly feel that stents first is the best option to alleviate. I don't know, what do you, what's your practice? Yeah, so our practice is, is exactly the same. So, so the go-to or the reflex um, that we've taught our referrers is actually just to go straight for a stent. Um, so often um, that will have actually happened before they come to us because they know we're going to say, please try and stent them. Um, and, and we do have a little bit of data showing that they get pretty good uh, instant relief. Um, so I think that that's that's the reason. And then we will, again, routinely, we would probably offer some, some, some consolidation radiotherapy yeah. after that. Uh, so again, dose fractionation will depend a little bit on the situation, whether that's the bulk of the disease and how fit they are. Um, but, but as routine, we, we would irradiate after a stent normally. Okay, yeah, no, I think we're, we're about the same. And what about um, collapsed lungs? Why I was asked to go up to the wards to see a patient, um, a really elderly guy. And um, um, so I agreed to give him a single fraction and I really did not think it was going to make much difference. And then the respiratory physician sent me a, um, a, a chest x-ray image and you know one single fraction and it just you know reinflated this lung in this guy who was in his 80s was doing much better because I'm always like oh it's stuck down or oh, there's no point really giving any radiotherapy now it's probably too late and I was really surprised at how effective just a single fraction was is that what would your practice be for somebody who has collapsed their lung are you sure that wasn't just mucus plugging that they coughed up? <laughs> well, no, I'm going to take full credit for it. <laughs> Go for it. You take the credit. We need, we need the credit, credit where we can. You've got it sometimes, haven't you? You can tell from my cynicism where I am with that. Um, so um, I'm not a great believer that we really often open up collapsed airways with radiotherapy. Yeah. I think... Um, Think often they come to us that's been collapsed for some time um, and I think that you know we're just probably not going to get easy control over it with radiotherapy uh, in that situation so um, I, I'm, I'm I don't normally give for that reason unless there is another reason to give radiotherapy at the same time so if it's been given for another reason at the same time that's great but but I'm, I'm not sure it often reopens airways have i ever given it for that situation yes everybody has um we get persuaded to the patient's keen on it um but i think that's just a, a fairly frank conversation that um that, you know yeah. whether we believe this is really going to help yeah I, so, I i was really surprised because i like you you know a you do it and you don't often see these patients back and you certainly don't do an x-ray and um yeah so i had to eat my words when i said it wasn't going to work but anyway so, uh, you know, that's kind of, I think we're all roughly the same, but there is a bit of difference, I think, around the country. In, in, and, and I think that's what our training trains us for, really, is to, to mm. use these different doses and schedules as appropriate for the patient. 
obviously you're the co-investigator of the tourist um, platform um, studies and so we're trying to maybe get some standardization into to practice so do you want to tell me about this um, endeavor that you you've got funding for already I believe is that right? Yes, so we've got um, a large amount of funding from NIHR. We're waiting for NHS England, who I think just need to sign on the dotted line to say that they're happy, but, but we're hoping, hoping uh, that's a formality. Um, so um, basically what we're trying to do with the tourist platform is take palliative radiotherapy we've just talked about into a little bit of the modern era um, and give us a bit of an evidence base and a structure to actually what we do because we know all the MRC data, et cetera, but you know, what drug therapies were they using back then? Well, you know, mm. not very much. Um, what, what techniques were they using? Very different to modern techniques. Some of the staging was probably done in the chest X-ray era mm. back then. So it's, it's a completely different mm. kettle of fish. And that's still where a lot of our evidence comes from. Because these, so, these MRC um, studies I was going to say these MRC studies were for people who maybe don't know who are maybe um, younger than us are. I mean, they go back to the 1990s, don't they? Yeah, I'm recruiting in the 1980s. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want to be able to say before I was born, but that's not unfortunately true. But I, I would like to be able to say that. I'm not quite that. Um, but but yeah, it's 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 old fashioned stuff, um, and we still use that as our evidence, don't we? So mm -hmm. um, so essentially, tourist is a platform. We have two embedded studies that are already funded um, and it's trying to be quite pragmatic. So it's four patients with stage four non-small cell lung cancer at the outset, so that half are patients that present with stage four disease. Um, and it's trying to be quite inclusive. So we've got two parts, we've got the PRINCE part of it, which is essentially is taking people having systemic therapy. So they're having systemic therapy as practice um, and they're then being randomized to high dose palliative radiotherapy, sort of a 30-ish gray type regime in, in 10 fractions versus no radiotherapy. And that radiotherapy is given upfront and early. Um, so how are they gonna do in terms of quality of life? And our main endpoints are PROMS quality of life. So does giving early thoracic radiotherapy, a reasonably high dose and a fit group of patients having systemic therapy help with their quality of life? And, and you know, we'll look at survival and various other endpoints. Um, and then you've got the other study within that, which is the quartz lung study, which is the patients who are not having systemic therapy as standard care. So generally clear that they're going to be the less fit patients, worse performance status. Of course, it can be patients who are declining um, systemic therapy. Um, and they're going to be randomized between radiotherapy and no radiotherapy with a sort of a lower dose fractionation. So sort of 25 type dose fractionation. Again, looking at their... Um, looking at the quality of life as, as the main primary endpoint um, and some other, other factors as well, like survival, et cetera. Um, so those are our two studies that are funded, maybe one or two more to come, who knows, um, in that platform. Um, challenging recruitment numbers. So, so, the, so, so the two uh, together, uh, we need about 970 patients. So um, decent numbers. We have lots of patients in the UK who are stage four, and most of them actually will be eligible for this study. The main ineligibility will be um, patients who require radiotherapy up front for symptom control. So clearly they need the radiotherapy outside of the study. Sure. Um, so, so that's sort of a, a, a quick summary of the, of the tourist platforms.
Yeah, that is a large number of patients, isn't it? So are you, what, what, what is yes. your plan to open this in as many sites as you can? Or is this an England-only study? Or is this a whole UK-based study? Or what's the... It's definitely not an England-only. You're welcome, please. Um, <laughs> and, and, and we're trying to, we're trying to, to, to bring on um, some international colleagues as well, which okay. um, is... is also being worked up a little bit. Um, so we want lots of radiotherapy centres. I think from memory, I should know immediately, I think we're after about 26 radiotherapy centres. So, okay. um, you know, but we're, we're very much hoping this is a pragmatic study that, that you know, is made as easy as can be in, you know, a randomised phase three way and, and places can sort of join in and recruit. Okay, and when do you think you're going to be up and running? Then, when do you, when would you like to think that you're recruiting your first patient? We're, we're hoping end of this year, so end of twenty two, probably. So site setups, we're talking about, you know, autumnish twenty two, um, okay. and, and recruitment end of this year to start hoping. And in terms of prints, so just if we just. You know, we've not got too much longer um, to, to chat, but in terms of principle, what sort of dose and fractionation are you thinking of? Yes, it's going to be things around, the, we're essentially going to aim around the 30 grey mark for that. So, so the, the switch between the two of them really is from a more palliative radiotherapy to a more, uh, sorry, for a more low dose palliative to, to a higher dose. So I think we've got um, two options there from memory. I need to look back at 36 and 12 or 39 and 13. Um, so that that sort of dose, and then in the in the other uh, the quartz lung, it will sort of be twenty and five, or, or the fractionations you've mentioned, so the sixteen or seventeen in two. So, so those are the, the the ballpark fractionations. We've got to pin those down exactly in the protocol. So we just want to allow as many centres to join as possible. So so fractionations they're comfortable with. And what about um, the planning? Are, are we? Are you? Are you going to move us into more complex planning for these patients, or are we still going to keep it um, simple? Yeah. So this is this is the big bugbear in prints. Um, so we are definitely going to strongly. The minimum we're going to do is strongly encourage more advanced techniques. Okay. So that's the minimum we're going to do. And we are having a discussion which is ongoing about whether we mandate um, okay. whether we mandate more complex techniques. Uh, we think it's the right thing to do. We think it's a good um, way of bringing departments up in terms of what they're delivering. Um, but our concern is we really don't want to lose a significant number of departments who say we're, we're not doing that. We can't do that at the moment. We're not doing that in the study. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going to approach a number of centres really to get some feedback on that question because we do not want to lose centres for that reason. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, certainly, you know, when I did my fellowship um, 14 years ago in Canada, you know, they were they were doing, you know, conformal plans for their 36 and 12s back then. So, you know, certainly I think to get the international centres, they'll be wanting to, I think, do more complex planning. They, they, were, they were slightly laughing at us when we took it yeah. to them and discussed that they may have the option of, of, of a 2D yes. approach. And, and I think they, they fell off their chairs at that thought. Yeah. So, yes. I think we've got to keep it pragmatic, though, haven't we? And, and, and suitable for the UK population, really, isn't it? And we've got to use the resource that we have, haven't we? Mm. I, I think, I think you're right. I think the problem is, is we will end up with more complex planning. We're going to be there. By the time this study comes out, 
surely everybody will be using more complex pyrophys group of patients. And then you don't want the complaint to be when somebody reads it, well, a third of the patient had 2D radiotherapy back then. Yeah. Uh, so it's trying to future-proof the results as well. It's, it's a tricky conundrum. We might be auto-contouring or somebody will be auto-contouring. We'll just be, we we'll just press a button and it'll be all done for us. It'll be very straightforward, yeah. I'm sure, in the next few I'm years. Drinking coffee. Yeah. Okay, well, David, that's us um, probably over our 20 minutes. Um, normally what I, I say to people at this point, is there anything that um, that I've not asked you that you feel you'd like to say or we've not discussed, some, some hot topic that I'm unaware of in the world of palliative thoracic radiotherapy? Oh, gosh, that's like the, that's like the end of a consultant interview. Have you got any questions for me? Um, <laughs> um, no, no, I don't. I don't think there's anything. I think, I think we've had a really um, good chat. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed that, actually. Well, thank um, you. Uh, Gen general go through it there's, there's nothing key i think we haven't covered so no that was great thank you great okay well look, thanks very much david i wish you all the best with the study um you know we need to recruit to it when it opens um we need to um make sure that you know we, we we're, we're we're seen as good recruiters in the uk and and certainly as you say we've got a lot of patients that should fit the bill for this study going forward so all the best with it that'd be great thank you okay thanks very much um, so, everybody, thank you very much for listening. Um, we hope that gave you a bit of an insight into um, palliative radiotherapy to, um, to the thorax. For more information on BTOG, including educational events and how to join, um, you can visit www.btog.org. So, um, I will finish now. Thank you very much, David. Mm -hmm.